0: Following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education.
1: We don't need no thought control.
2: Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. How true it is. It is. Great to be with you again today, Abigail. Yes, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have a fantastic
3: guest with us here this evening. His name is Mr. Daniel Sir. Daniel is a senior legal fellow at the National Opportunity Project. So he is a legal mind that works in a a variety of different facets, but he is working to help expand and protect educational choice and also protecting the freedom here that we love in the United States so my And we're going to really do a deep dive in on some of the projects that he has been working on that I think all of you will find incredibly
2: interesting. So, Daniel, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Abigail. Thanks for having me
2: on. Yeah, we're so glad. This is our first time having you on our show. This may be the first of many, (laughs) but we are very glad that we found you and that you are um, doing the work that you're doing. You're doing some important work and we're going to cover Some of your work today in this show, and then we're going to be doing another show with you next week um, where we're going to be focusing in on more of the school choice. So today we're talking more about the National Opportunity Project survey that you did on K-12 hiring practices. And this was in the wake of the Supreme Court case that found that hiring for race or any type of um any type of uh, ideology is certainly not in keeping with this, the Constitution of the United States. And so we're glad that um, that case came down the pike. But now you're finding that it was not just happening at the college level, but it was happening at the K-12 level as well, correct?
4: Yeah, this is such a problem across our country that there is an agenda out there that wants to classify Uh, Really, every American, based on their race, based on these other personal attributes uh, that elevates um, race and other attributes, frankly, just above the one thing we all have in common, which is uh, being Americans, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court this summer, in really a landmark case involving Harvard University, uh, said no. It it made very clear, the court, uh, that our country actually fought a civil war over these deeply you know, divisive topics and as a result wrote into the Constitution in the 14th Amendment that all of us as Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the laws regardless of our race. The government can't treat us differently based on our skin color. And what universities uh, did in affirmative action was create measures on race. There were some people who were able to get into elite institutions uh, simply because of of their skin color and others who were rejected from Mm -hmm. elite institutions Mm -hmm. uh, because of their race. And the Supreme Court put a stop to that. What we've discovered at the National Opportunity Project is the same thing is happening in K-12, the same ideology that looks to divide us and sort us based on, on race, based on Um, politics, that same insidious ideology is present in our public schools at the K-12 level
2: as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is obviously very concerning. And, you know, since COVID, we're hearing more and more about this, and we've covered it multiple times on our show, just how DEI has been infused into K-12 schools. But we've talked about it more from the perspective of curriculum Teacher licensing Mm. rules and things like that. In fact, here in the state of Minnesota, there was a huge change in our social studies standards Mm -hmm. and in our licensure rules that are all going to be taking effect, I believe, in twenty twenty five. And so, but we've we really haven't spent time covering that much anyway about how DEI has really penetrated the hiring practices of K twelve schools. Um, And so tell us a little bit about your survey. First of all, how did you gain this data? Um, I am kind of curious how many schools or school districts you surveyed. And then tell us what some of the trends were that you're finding, the concerning trends, really.
4: Yeah, they are concerning. This is something that, that every parent and frankly, every citizen and taxpayer should be worried about. So we looked at 70 school districts across the country. Uh, We looked at big school districts and medium school districts. Uh, We looked in red states and we looked in blue states, Hmm. and we asked a very simple question. Mm -hmm. Provide us with the material you use when you're hiring teachers that deals with um, the criteria, the, the essay questions you ask. Like, just give us your sort of standard application packet and your standard grading criteria that you use for for candidates. Give mm-hmm. us give us some example job postings. Mm-hmm. These are questions, by the way. Any parent or any t- taxpayer can ask in their own school district. Mm-hmm. But you have a right under your state freedom of information law. Yeah, that's just so exactly same. what You're, I was
2: wondering. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's great.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So what what we did? Any parent could do to just go to the district. Uh, you don't need information specific to any one candidate. It's not. Uh, personal information about a particular job applicant. It's just give me uh, job postings, give me the general application that you use, give me the essay questions that you ask people to fill out and, and show me what criteria you use then to to grade applicants to figure out who's going to move forward in the process. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretty basic questions mm-hmm. that frankly we should be invested in knowing regardless of the whole DEI thing, right? Like, these are just good things that parents should know about and and taxpayers should know about in general.
2: Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, um, given that you are the nonprofit organization National Opportunity Project, um, are those districts compelled under the Freedom of Information Law to provide that information to you, or did they do that just on a case-by-case willingness basis?
4: So by and large, it's it's not a choice. Okay, um, I, I wonder, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, the the law in in almost every state is very good okay. to say that as a, a taxpayer, as a citizen, as a journalist, uh, we have a really robust rights to uh, sunlight. We have a right to know what the government's doing with our money. Mm-hmm. We have a right to know what the government's doing on our behalf. Uh, sometimes there are... are understandable limits. So, for instance, in the hiring context, you know, maybe you don't have a right to see completed job applications that contain somebody's Mm -hmm. number,
1: right? Mm -hmm.
4: But to ask for blank job applications or job postings that are put on uh, education industry websites to ask for the criteria that are used, uh, those are all legitimate topics for the public to inquire about. And school districts are, are usually compelled by law to provide them if asked.
2: Okay, that's good. So that means your data is truly a sampling. It's not just people who chose to give you this information. This really was um, compelled under the freedom of information law, which I think really carries a lot of weight then with respect to what you've been provided. So that's great.
4: So, Yeah, it's important, I think, to see that DEI is happening Everywhere. Yeah. Right. This isn't a problem that is in one school district or is in California or, you know, blue states only uh, or that it's happening in one or two big city districts. It is everywhere. It's happening in big districts and small districts. It's happening in red states and blue states.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, This
4: this ideology has infected the entire education, public education system. It starts in the schools of education
1: mm-hmm. and it,
4: it carries through across the board. And so um, in many, many districts, this is just par for the course. This mm-hmm. is just what's normal and accepted. Uh, it's not, it may seem outrageous to us. It's, it's just what everyday people encounter in this industry. And so it's really, I think, our responsibility as parents and taxpayers to disrupt these, the status quo and force reform by asking these hard questions about our school districts aligning with our values as a community and our values as Americans.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Would you mind sharing with our listeners, we actually have an article in front of us that that came out from the National Opportunity Project about this topic. And in it, you provide, this was dated August 24th, you provided some examples of um, some of the evidence that you are finding with respect to how DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, have really infiltrated the hiring practices. Can you start giving us some specific examples for our listeners of how you're seeing that play out?
4: Yeah, it's it's a great question. What we found in doing this survey is that school districts often use Uh, frankly, a screen that screens out people of faith, that screens out people who are politically conservative uh, by requiring them to be on board with the DEI agenda in order to move forward as an applicant. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you know, Evanston is a suburban Chicago area school district, Mm -hmm. and it required uh, all of their applicants to, and I'm here, I'm quoting, demonstrate a commitment to social justice, equity, excellence, and high expectations for all students. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're not on board with the liberal social justice agenda, and not just on board, if you cannot demonstrate, if you mm-hmm. cannot show through the interview and application process
1: mm-hmm. that you
4: are, you have a robust commitment to social justice and equity, equity is the E and DEI, right, then, then you're not going to go forward.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: another n- another example, um, Decatur, Georgia, that you have to. Uh, one of the criterion for for successful candidates is finding candidates who are committed to our goal of dismantling systemic racism and generating oh. racial equity. Hmm. Um, so, so I think my favorite blatant. though is
1: Denver. <laughs> yeah,
4: just, yeah. Just let me give you. No, my favorite is Denver. Okay. This is for an elementary art teacher. The uh-huh. job posting for an elementary art teacher qualified candidates, and I'm quoting, uh-huh. will have an anti-racist mindset uh-huh. and will work to dismantle systems of oppression and
2: inequity in our community. Oh my goodness! This is for an oh elementary gosh. art teacher. I'm li- I'm, I'm having an
3: okay, I'm <laughs> just sitting here going I'm having an aneurysm right, right
4: <laughs> now. <laughs> the is coming out. Yeah, well, I mean it's just like. What what are we teaching our third graders? Right, that requires a you know an, an art teacher uh, mm-hmm. to dismantle systems of oppression,
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, have an anti-racist mindset. Right, it's basically if you're not on board with, Ibrahim uh, Kindi yes. or any of the other, then then you're not welcome here. Right, mm-hmm. you you are not welcome here. You can't get a job here. This 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 Denver right this major. Metropolitan school system uh, isn't for you. Mm -hmm. This is, and it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah.
3: And I want to connect two dots for our listeners here. If you've been with us um, for a while, we have interviewed an amazing woman. Her name is Shi Van Fleet a couple of different times for those that aren't familiar with her. First of all, please go back and find that episode. But she is a woman who grew up under, in China, under Mao and has now been working tirelessly to help. Americans understand that so much of that ideology is now here in the United States. So when we talk about things mm-hmm. like what's happening in the Denver public schools, it's important to key in on a couple of these words, dismantling the systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. Go back and see who else used that language, mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. She will tell you that's that's the language that they used in Mao's China.
1: Mm-hmm
3: and we don't we never want to be, you know, going to the extremes here on our show, but we also want to be people that are willing to look truth in the eye. We're not going to stick our heads in the sand about this. So,
2: I mean, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Right? It's not like they're just looking for nice people. I mean, <laughs> it it is very specific. Yes. And the anti-racist language, I hope people have have learned enough about this topic to know that that word has been taken and manipulated. You know, we think on the outside that sounds good. Of course we want to be anti-racist. We are anti-racist. Um, but this terminology along with dismantling systems of oppression are a key language piece to actually doing just the opposite (laughs) and actually um, going ahead and being racist uh, and hiring on the basis of race is being racist. And it is unconstitutional, as you pointed out um, so well a little bit earlier, Daniel. Are you finding that teachers are complaining to, are they reaching out to organizations like yours um, for help? I know you've done a couple of lawsuits, but what what are you finding in terms of fam of parents or not parents? Sorry, teachers are they afraid to say anything? Are they kind of pretending they're somebody that they're not just so that they can get jobs? I mean, are you hearing from people that are dealing with these changes in the hiring practices?
4: Yeah, it's a real challenge for people, and frankly, I think their statistics show many are just leaving the profession.
1: Yeah. That's I mean, you guys live too. in
4: this world every day too yeah. But there's just a lot of people who are just Not willing to put up with The the crazy and the politics And the ideology And so they're just leaving the profession entirely mm-hmm. um, and, and, and honestly I think it's a real challenge for You know people of faith Or people who are conservative uh, Because even if they get into One of these school districts uh, They worry about what might happen If they get found out Right. And I had a client Um Two years ago, who was a principal in a tough inner-city Memphis high school,
1: mm-hmm. and he was
4: doing a great job turning it around. Uh, one of the tools he did use to kind of create community was he did a principal's minute over the announcements every week, where he talked about some theme related to um, kind of integrity and character.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
4: so, uh, right after the very you know, divisive events that our country experienced on uh, January 6th, 2020, right after the Electoral College fiasco Mm -hmm. and the the thing at the Capitol.
1: Mm
4: -hmm. During his little principal's minute, he encouraged students to listen to disagreeing viewpoints with respect, Mm -hmm. that we in America, in our democracy, have a marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. And that only works if people, when they're on social media or when they're in person, and speak to one another with respect. Seems that same day he said that <laughs> he was suspended by his school district wow. for uh, creating a hostile environment for his students. And he sat on suspension for six weeks mm-hmm. until the day we filed a, our lawsuit when miraculously the investigation into him ended and he was reinstated.
2: Oh my goodness. But, so, but you, what, you I have to get to that what, point. Yeah. Unbelievable.
4: Yeah, Right, I mean I tell this story because you know Barton's just a, a he's a good man, he's a you know dedicated professional, he wants to be a good principal, and yet the moment you say anything, even something that would seem pretty innocuous, I mean, mm-hmm. we introduced curriculum that the school district had endorsed, that used similar language when talking about like social studies curriculum, that used similar language to what he used <laughs> but. You know, if things are heard in a political context, if people who are activists have their little radars on Mm -hmm. for anything that seems conservative or faith-based, they will go after you. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people, even if you can get into one of these school districts, they don't want to live in fear. They don't want to walk on eggshells. And so either they're going to alternatives outside the public school system or they're just leaving the profession entirely. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Which then means more and more children who are unable to leave the public school system will be taught by ideologues. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, It it unfortunately just becomes a self-reinforcing cycle, right? That the people who come out of our schools of education are overwhelmingly shaped by this ideology as undergraduates. They get into the schools. They are given curriculum to deliver. And as you pointed out earlier on other shows, the curriculum is infected with the ideology. They're hired based on the ideology. They're promoted based on the ideology. They're hearing their superintendent and their principal pushing the ideology. And so even people who aren't particularly ideological end up becoming vehicles Mm
1: -hmm. for
4: the ideology because that's what's constantly being pushed through the system. And then you know, our, our, the victims and all that are our children. Yeah. Because we end up with classrooms that are focused on indoctrination rather than education.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And then we wonder why students don't know how to think or why they react so negatively with ideas that they disagree with or oppose. They've never been taught to face other viewpoints that maybe challenge their own. And so now we have college students acting like children many times when they disagree with something and um, wh- where does that <laughs> you know I think we're, we're all asking ourselves where is that going to lead down the road because eventually these people that are being educated in this manner are going to be tomorrow's you know parents and employees and leaders and officials and um, you know at what point do people say enough is enough. We need to go back to what made this country great. And that is that we have a diversity of viewpoint and a diversity of thought. Um,
4: so I was really encouraged, um, I guess two summers ago now, a year and a half ago, the Supreme court heard a case called uh, Mahanoy area school district versus BL BL are the initials for a young student who um, got uh, frustrated with her cheerleading coach and uh, she sent some text messages to some of her cheerleading teammates uh, critical of the coach uh, outside of school hours and one of one of her teammates turned her in and she got disciplined for it hmm. and she brought a free speech lawsuit she said you know you can't discipline me for a uh, speech that occurs off campus outside of the school day etc
1: mm-hmm.
4: and the Supreme Court, not only ruled in her favor 8-1, to one, wow! Uh, but had an opinion from Justice Breyer. And I don't usually say nice things about opinions. Right.
3: I was going to say, did, yeah. how did Sotomayor vote? Right. I want to know that.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> but in this
4: instance, Justice Breyer had a great uh, paragraph where he said, you know, America's democracy starts in our schools,
1: mm-hmm. and
4: America's schools are responsible for modeling democracy for our students. He said, "Every student should graduate, understanding the principle." I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it.
2: Wow, that is powerful. Yeah. That's amazing. So, How did we not hear about this?
4: So, <laughs> so, in one sense, the Supreme Court didn't have to say that, right? right? Like, to, there's nothing particularly um, political or ideological or viewpoint about this cheerleader who was frustrated with her coach, right? Justice Breyer went beyond what he needed to say, mm-hmm. I think, to, to put a, a paragraph in law to make a point for these future cases Yeah, that, that, you know, across the board, whether it was the conservative justices or the liberal justices, they all joined in agreeing that free speech in school is important, that schools have a responsibility to model the marketplace of ideas. That's the phrase he used to model the marketplace of ideas uh, and that we should not impose um, this sort of ideological uniformity. And he said, he actually said too, you know, unpopular ideas are the ones that, that schools need to protect because popular ideas don't need protection.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. And, and the same is just true of the first amendment overall. Nobody needs to worry about agreeing with the government and then having the government come after Mm you. It's when you criticize the government. Mm -hmm. It's when you're skeptical of the government. It's when you go against the entrenched special interests or powers that be that we need the protection to the first amendment. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's at least an encouragement for me uh, that, that our schools should be pursuing these goods, that our schools should be modeling these values and virtues uh, and that when schools, get out of that zone when they do the opposite thing that parents and taxpayers have a tool in the law to hopefully bring things
2: right. Mm -hmm. Can you say the name of that case one more time because I know that it was an unusual um, title.
4: Yep it's Mahanoy uh, M-A-H-O-N-O-Y Mahanoy Area School District Versus B L B period L period. Okay. So if you just put in in Google, uh, Snapchatting cheerleader Supreme Court, <laughs> <you'll all,
2: laughs> it all come up, which
4: is far more of a far more fun of a search term.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing,
4: yeah,
2: I I was just going to say, you know, I'm thinking about even here in Minnesota. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've shared some of the stories of things that have happened here. And one that's coming to mind that I've kind of forgotten about now is a couple of years ago, actually maybe not that long ago, maybe even just last year, um, there was a video that went pretty broadly spread around here in the Twin Cities of of a superintendent welcoming her staff back for the upcoming school year. And basically she started out by saying, We are subscribing to, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion and, you know, dismantling oppression and use all the code language for um, DEI. And she said, and if you don't agree with this, then you don't belong in this district. Mm hmm. And now I that might not be a direct quote but it's pretty pretty close. That was that was the clear message. So now that I know about this case, I think what if a teacher were to write a letter on their own highlighting this case and saying hey, you know, superintendent, um you said this, this case occurred. This is the language that came out of the case, even from a a known non-conservative Supreme Court justice. (laughs) And, um, you know, do do you think something like that would help? Or do you think it takes lawsuits to turn these things around every time? We only have like about 60 seconds now.
4: Yeah, I think it absolutely helps. I think we should all be speaking up for uh, our constitutional rights. And I think superintendents, Uh, should be made aware because all of the pressure right now that they're under is from the other side. Mm -hmm. All the pressure, everything they're hearing is from activists with an ideology. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that taxpayers, that that parents, that staff make their voices heard, speak up with their school boards, speak up with their superintendent, because we are on the right side of these issues. Mm -hmm. We've got the law and the constitution and American values and our communities on our side. And when superintendents hear that, when school boards hear that, that that alternative pressure, I think will bring things back to at least a better middle point, if not actually back in our direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, praise God for that. It's really nice to hear some good news and some tools that people can use. Uh, for being able to push back on some of these things. And I think sometimes people don't push back because they feel like they don't have any tools. They have no backing, no support. And so you've given us some great uh, pieces of information today, Daniel, and we just want to say thank you so much for joining us on Education America today. And for our listeners. it was great to be with you. All right, thank you, and then we will see you next week. We we hope all of our listeners will um, follow you, uh, Daniel Sir, and uh, Opportunity National Opportunity Project. See you next week.